Right folks, uh, grab your Bibles and let's go to Job chapter 32. Job chapter 32, that's where we're going to be. Um, this book, book of Job, is a book that's all about God and suffering. Uh, Job was a righteous and godly man who suffered tremendous loss. And throughout the book, he's wrestling with the question, why has God allowed this to happen to me? Uh, now, so far, we've seen him wrestle with this question with three of his friends. Uh, their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, uh, which may sound like cool Star Wars kind of names, but you do not want to name your kids after these guys because they are the worst. And they've just given the worst advice and the worst comfort to poor Job. Uh, these three friends have basically been saying to Job, look, the reason you're suffering is because God is punishing you for some sin that you have not confessed to him, which we know is not true. But they have been pushing this theology and time and time again, Job has responded by protesting his innocence. And it gets quite heated as they are discussing it. Uh, but eventually the friends stop speaking and Job, as we saw last week, gives his final speech in which he continues to protest his innocence. And he says that God has been cruel to him. He feels that God has been unjust and he wants God to come and explain why this has happened. And then the words of Job were ended. It's a very tense final speech um, from Job in this book. Now is the time for answers. God himself will come and will speak, but before he does, we're about to meet another character in the story of Job. A young man who has been sitting in the background this whole time, listening to these conversations between Job and his three friends. A young guy called Elihu. Now, this guy Elihu, um, he's got a lot to say. He speaks from chapter 32 all the way through to chapter 37. So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, normally, we would just kind of go down in a text and we'd chew on every verse. Uh, but if we did that with Elihu's speeches, we'd be here for about five hours. So instead, we're just kind of going to, we're going to hover above Elihu's speeches and, and try and get the big idea of what it is Elihu is saying. What does Elihu contribute that is new to the book of Job? We're going to um, see the wood without looking at the detail of the trees. And, and I hope that as we do that, that you'll go and read Elihu's speeches yourself and hopefully it will make more sense kind of having that, that big picture idea of what is going on. There's a lot of wisdom, I think, in Elihu that can help us in suffering. So let's meet our boy. Let's read chapter 32. Uh, we're just going to read the first five verses and then I'm going to pray and we'll try and look at Elihu's speeches. Chapter 32. So these three men, that is Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Bootsite, of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. Let's pray 
and then we'll spend some time looking at Elihu's speeches. Father, this is a difficult part of scripture. It is very confusing, a lot of the stuff that Elihu says, and yet we know that it's here to teach us wisdom. And so we ask, Almighty God, that you would teach us wisdom. Help us to understand what's going on here. Please, by your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you show us Jesus? Would you give us the wisdom of fearing your name? Please, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, what are we to do with this guy, Elihu? Uh, You can see, even from just that short little reading that we did there, um, you can see what what we notice about Elihu is that he is an angry man. And when you read what he says in chapters 32 through 37, that anger really does come out. So so how are we to read him? Is is he just like the other three? Is he just like Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar? Or is Elihu someone different? A lot of folks are very divided on this. Um, Elihu is like the Marmite of Bible characters. Um, Some think he's great and others think he is just terrible. Uh, And the reason he gets a lot of stick is because if you were to to read his speeches, he can come across as quite rude, uh, insensitive and arrogant. A kind of hot-headed young guy who's got a lot to say. But I would say that we need to be very careful of reading our tone into what Elihu um, says here because I think I think the book of Job as a whole wants us to view Elihu as a good guy as a positive wise friend of Job this is someone that we are meant to listen to let me just give you a few reasons for thinking that there's no point taking my words for that let me just give you a few reasons from the book of Job why we're to view Elihu as a as a positive influence on Job firstly the author of Job gives him four speeches back to back. Elihu gets a lot of airtime in this book, which would seem to imply that that he's an important person worth listening to. Secondly, Job does not respond to Elihu's speeches like he did to the other three. He, he, He seems to be listening to what Elihu is saying and he doesn't protest to anything Elihu says. Thirdly, Much of what Elihu will say in these speeches, we might find quite difficult, but much of it is actually picked up on by God himself when God speaks in chapter 38. There's a lot of overlap between the two. And fourthly, finally, at the very end of the book, God will come and he will speak to Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar and he will condemn them for what they have said to Job. But he doesn't condemn Elihu. And I think that's very interesting. If there was stuff that Elihu had said that was wrong, you would expect God to condemn him as well. But he doesn't. So I think we're meant to view Elihu here as a positive uh, influence, as someone who's bringing something new. So, so what is it that he's doing? What's he doing? Well, Elihu is here to rebuke Job for some of the things that Job has said about God in his suffering that's wrong. See in chapter 32, the one description we get of Elihu is that he is raging. He is so angry. And the reason that he is angry is because, verse 2, 
he feels that Job has tried to justify himself rather than God. In other words, Job has spent so much time trying to show his innocence that he has said stuff about God that is not true. And and in some of the stuff he said, he has slighted the character of God. Now, Now, don't get this wrong. Remember, Job is a good and a godly man. He's better than any of us will be. We're we're told that at the start of the book. He's unique in in his integrity and his righteousness. And on the whole, what he says about God is right. And God will say that at the very end. God will speak to Job and, and will commend Job for what he has said. But there have been moments where he has made some accusations against God that are just wrong. Which is why, after Elihu speaks, and then God himself speaks, do you know what Job says after these speeches? In chapter 42, he says this, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now that is not something you'd say if you were innocent. Job knows at the very end, he knows that he went too far and that he said stuff about God that was wrong. And Elihu is calling him out on that now. Uh, One commentator put it like this. Job is not suffering because he has sinned. That's what Job's three friends have said. He is not suffering because he has sinned. But in his suffering, he did sin. He's not suffering because he sinned. But in his suffering, he did sin. So, what Elihu does is in three speeches, he picks up on certain things that Job has said about God that are wrong. And then in a final speech, he calls Job to trust in God's justice and God's power. So let's kind of hover above it. Let's walk through what Elihu is saying. Walk through these first three speeches. So the first speech, Elihu picks up on the fact that Job has called God his enemy and said that God is silent. He doesn't care about him. That's what Job said. So have a look at chapter 33 and verse 8. Chapter 33 and verse 8. This is what Elihu is saying. Job has said. But you have said in my hearing. I heard the very words. I am pure. I have done no wrong. I am clean and free from sin. Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. He fastens my feet in shackles. He keeps close watch on all my paths. But I tell you, in this you are not right. For God is greater than any mortal. Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? So that's what Job has said. Job has said, God, I am pure and you treat me like an enemy. And worst of all is the fact that you have not bothered to speak to me during this entire time. Now we can we can understand that, can't we? That feeling of of God being silent in our pain. But Job has has gone beyond saying that's what he feels to saying that's what's true. It's almost like God can't be bothered with me. He treats me like an enemy for no reason. And so Elihu responds by saying in verse 14, look, God does speak. And he can speak in many different ways. In verse 15, he mentions that God often speaks through dreams. 
Uh, now, here's what to bear in mind. Remember, the book of Job was written thousands of years before we had this, before we had you know, a complete Bible. And one of the ways God spoke back then, commonly, was through dreams. So his word would come, and, and the purpose of his word coming to his people would be for verse 17. It says, to turn you from wrongdoing and keep you from pride. Which, which I think is what Elihu sees as a problem with Job. The sin that needs to be repented of is the fact that Job is at the moment filled with pride. God speaks through his words. But then there's an interesting thing Elihu says in verse 19. God can also speak to us through our suffering. He says in verse 19, Or someone may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in their bones. Uh, to be chastened means to be, it can, mean, it can mean to be disciplined or to be humbled. Suffering can be a way that God humbles us. When we suffer, we know that there is something wrong with us. That there's something wrong with this world. And, and it can be a means of us being drawn to pursue God. Suffering may be a way that, that God is exposing some sinful pride in our hearts. It can be a way of showing us how genuine our faith is. That we have held on to God through that pain. Suffering can be a means that God uses to get us to trust him more. Think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians when he talks about this thorn in his flesh, this messenger from Satan that had been given to him and, and how he pleaded three times for God to take this away from him. But through that, he learned that God's grace was sufficient for him. In other words, God can teach us a lot through pain. That's not to minimize the hurt. But it can be a means of teaching us. C.S. Lewis um, once said that God whispers to our conscience and screams to us in our pains. It's his megaphone used to rouse a deaf world. And so Elihu's saying, look, God is not silent, Job. He speaks. And when he speaks, he always does so with the purpose to save us, to try and help us. To, um, to use his language, to rescue us from the pit. And in verse uh, 23 to 28 of chapter uh, 33, it's a bit confusing. Like a lot of the stuff Elihu says, it's confusing. But he talks about God sending a messenger, someone who will stand between us and God, who will somehow be able to deal with our sin, pay the ransom our sin owes, and bring us back to God. So that we can say this. Look at verse 27. We can say in verse 27, it will go to others and say, I have sinned and I have perverted what is right, but I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. Now, do you see that? You see, unlike Job's other three friends, Elihu believes in grace. When God gives us what we don't deserve. In our suffering, it's possible for us to learn more about the great grace of Jesus. To say, as Paul said, your grace is sufficient. And although you may feel far from God, do not think that he is silent. Here he is, speaking now. Remember what the author of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament. He tells us that in the past, in the time of Job... 
God spoke in many different ways through the prophets, prophets like Elihu. But in these last days, he has spoken to us very clearly through his son, Jesus, who is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is that one who paid the ransom for our sins, rescued us from the pit. So what Elihu says in verse 27 is what every Christian can say. Therefore, we cannot say that he is silent. We must hold on to Jesus. We must keep listening to Jesus. What is this suffering now that I am going through? What does that teach me or what did that teach me? Honestly, some of the most godly and wise people I've met are those who who have suffered. They don't feel like they're learning anything at the time. In fact, they feel probably that they're slipping away. But through it all, they have grown to appreciate the greatness of Jesus. Remember uh, one minister called Tim Keller saying this, that sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So that's the first speech. Job has said, um, God is silent. And Elihu's rebuked him and said, you need to listen and not let your anguish and frustration deafen you to his word. He is not silent, Job. Second speech then. Elihu picks up on the fact that Job has called God unjust. Just have a look at chapter 34 now. And have a look at verse 5. What's what's different about Elihu and the three friends is Elihu actually engages with stuff that Job has said. Whereas the friends didn't seem to listen to him. But look at what he picks up on from Job here. Verse 5. Job says, I am innocent, but God denies me justice. Although I am right, I am considered a liar. Although I am guiltless, his his arrow inflicts an incurable wound. Now that is very close to the bone. It's as if Job's saying, look, because I'm innocent and because I am right, I must be the one who is just and God must be unjust. I mean, if he's going to treat me like this, how could he be good? What what is good about shooting arrows into a guiltless person? And Elihu's response to that is to basically say, Job, you need to be really careful what you're saying here. If you're thinking that God is unjust, then you're implying that God is evil. Have a look at verse 10. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. It's unthinkable. That God would do wrong. That the Almighty would pervert justice. And then he goes on to say in the rest of his speech. Look Job you know God could just wipe out humanity if he wanted to. You need to understand that he is the creator. We are the creatures. We are dependent upon him. He governs this world. And because he is God. The very fact that he is God. Means that he cannot hate justice. Justice comes from him. Righteousness comes from him. We didn't invent it. And so if he was unjust, then he would cease to be God. This is so serious what you are saying here, Job. So what Elihu does again the rest of the chapter is he just, he just reminds 
job of God's justice. He makes the point that God judges impartially, that God sees every sin, that it's all going to be called to account, that God does hear the cry of injustice and he will get the last word. Even if it seems that God is presently silent, do not condemn him. Verse 29, if he remains silent, who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can see him? You cannot say that he's unjust because you can't see what he is doing. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes, Job. And so here's the thing. In our suffering, we want justice. That's a good thing. And we want God to act, but very often we want that right now and we want it on our terms. And there's a danger that if we don't get it on our terms in the way that we would like, we start to slight God. Because we think that we know how it should be done and that he's not doing it to our standards. And I think one of the things Elihu is trying to do in these speeches it is to get Job to say that you need to be careful that you don't try and force God to operate on your terms. Don't think that the way that you see the world is the right way. Cannot God deliver justice even if we can't see it? We see only a tiny slither of time. Does it not make sense that the eternal God who sees the beginning and the end might operate in such a way that it's hard for us to understand with our finite, frail minds? Is it not possible that this great God can bring suffering into our lives for our ultimate good, even if we can't see what that is? And we can't expect to have all the answers because you're not God. And God's not just a larger version of you. And so the promise that we have in the Bible is that everything, everything that a follower of Jesus faces will be used for their ultimate good. Nothing is pointless and everything will be brought to account. Every act of evil and injustice. No one is getting away with anything. People like Jimmy Savile did not get away with it. The pain that we face as Christians is never pointless. And as we hold on to Jesus, we don't see someone who is indifferent to our pain. We see a God who gave his son up to be hung like a piece of meat on a cross so that we sinners could be forgiven and welcomed for all eternity. So do not say God is unjust. Do not think that God does not care about me. You cannot say that. It would be so wrong and especially in light of the cross. What more could God give to show us his goodness and love? And that speech ends by Elihu saying, Job, you need to repent. And Job does, eventually. That's the second speech. Third speech is this. Elihu picks up on the idea that Job thinks that God owes him. We're in chapter 35 this time. Chapter 35 have a look at verse 2. Lie who said, Do you think this is just? You say, I am in the right, not God. Yet you ask him, What profit is it to me, and what do I gain by not sinning? What's the point? What's the point in giving my life to God if this is what happens to me? 
Now remember what we know about Job. Job loved God. And he followed God because of who God was. Remember that, that great statement of faith right at the very start of the book? After his suffering where he said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But it seems, whilst that is true of Job, it seems that as his suffering has gone on, there have been points where he has started to feel it's not worth it. And Elihu wants to make the point, look Job, remember God does not owe you. How you behave does not affect the world. Look up at the heavens, he says in verse 5. Have a look at the clouds. Tell me, whenever you sin, does that affect the clouds? Or what about if you are righteous? Do you think if you are righteous that that somehow that affects God? That you are giving God something that he doesn't have? Do you think that God owes you? In other words, do you think, Job, that by your behaviour you can dictate how God the creator should work? That you can control him by how you behave? That's such a key point, I think, that so many fail to understand. In fact, Elihu says that people cry out when they're oppressed, but the reality is that many cry out when they don't really care about God. Verse 10, no one says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? They cry out, but they just want to use God like he's just this big cosmic slot machine. I'm at the centre And if God doesn't do what I want, then I won't bother with him. Now, as we've said, Job is not like that. Job is not like that. He he really is a genuine follower of God. He loves him. He said some amazing stuff about God in this book that, that we've studied. and Some of it's just wonderful. But there are times where I think Elihu's saying that some of what you're saying is starting to sound like you're treating God that way. And so Job, be very careful. Don't don't open your mouth with empty talk. Verse 16. Be careful not to multiply words without knowledge. I mean, how many of us have said stuff that we regret? How many of us have said stuff when we've been really down that it wasn't true, but in the emotion that we felt, we've said it and we've regretted it. Many of us have been cruel and callous even in times of pain, even to God. We've had to think back and put our hands over our mouth. Can't believe that we said that. I think Job felt that and Job will actually do just that. He'll put his hand over his mouth and he'll be ashamed at some of the stuff he said in his pain. And he will repent because he is a good godly man. And so Elihu has said to Job, this is what he said, look, God is not silent. God is not unjust and God does not owe you. And he closes with a big long speech in chapter 36 and 37 in which he's basically saying, look Job, God is mighty in justice and power. Do not expect to be able to understand every detail of how he works, but trust him. Fear him, Job. Job, you're a man who has feared God. That was your defining trait. And it's so important that in your suffering you continue to fear him. It's so important that in our suffering, we fear the name of the Lord. So, what are we to do with all that? Um, what, in other words, what, what would we miss if we just didn't bother with Elihu 
I've listened to a few sermon series in Job and quite a lot of people just miss Elihu out, partly because they don't know what to do with him, I guess, and because a lot of the speeches are quite complicated. So what, what can we learn here from these speeches? Well, let me just close with three application points about why these speeches really matter. First is this, Elihu's speeches warn us to be careful and what we say about God in our sufferings. You cannot use suffering as a license to sin and to say whatever you want about God. He is worthy always of praise and glory. Always, regardless of the circumstance. Because he is God. And all throughout these speeches, Elihu has been warning Job of speaking what he calls, what he mentions in um, verse 16 of chapter 35, uh, words without knowledge. Something that God will pick up on as well in his speech in chapter 38. Be wary of passing a verdict on God just because you cannot see what he is doing. If we see that God is God, if we really fear God, then it means that we have to accept that he will work in a way that so often we will not understand. He is far greater than us, so don't expect to be able to know what he is doing all the time. But hold on to the fact that he is God and that he is good. Those two things, we must hold on to that. Uh, Let me illustrate it like this. My wee boy, uh, Lewis, had to get his jags this week to help him, you know, build up immunity from uh, measles and mumps, I think it was, and uh, so forth. I hate, I didn't go to it because I can't stand watching them do that so Kyrene went um, now Lewis is only one years old so he doesn't understand when he's in the doctor and he's got this stranger sticking a sharp prodding needle into his leg he doesn't understand that all this is for his good he's not thinking oh, uh, thank you mother for inoculating me against future disease I shall endure this pain because I know it's for my ultimate good no, he's, he's screaming, he's crying, his face is going bright red and he might be thinking in his wee mind, I don't know how it works, but he might be thinking, why would you do this to me? You see, he can't understand. He doesn't have the perspective, the understanding that we as his parents have. And we don't have the perspective, the understanding that God has. We might be thinking that God has been cruel. In reality, he's not. And it would be wrong and sinful for us who are in Jesus to make some of the accusations that Job made here in his speeches. And Job will know, and by the end of this book, Job will know God is good. God is great. That's the first thing. We've got to be careful what we say about God and suffering. Be emotionally honest be careful that you don't start slighting God's character. Um, Second thing, I think these speeches show us that a good Christian friend will help point out if we say stuff in our pain about God that is wrong. Now, not in an arrogant, self-righteous way, but in a way that shows genuine concern for godliness because you want to help them. Suffering does make you very introspective. It shrinks your world. And having a friend who can help you get out of that introspection is a good thing. We've, we've seen in Job how we comfort suffering friends. We've seen 
not to give pat answers. Just being there for people. Just just being there, not saying anything is so important. Listening. Gently reminding them of the truths of scripture. But there may also come a time where you have to say to your friend. What you've said about God there is not right. Often it's not straight away. Maybe they just need to voice stuff. But there does come a time. Remember Elihu sat back for a lot of what Job said. There does come a time where you have to do that. A good Christian friend will do that. Because our goal is not to flatter one another. But to help one another to be more godly. That's where true joy and contentment is. Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy will multiply kisses. There's quite a few wounds that have been inflicted by Elihu. I wonder if Job would understand that proverb, that he was a faithful friend. Thirdly, and finally, and this is how I think we need to just bring in every sermon on Job. All of this highlights the greatness of our Saviour, Jesus. Job's always a pointer to Jesus. The truly innocent sufferer. So in Job's successes, we see how Jesus does that infinitely better. In Job's suffering, we see how Jesus has suffered far more extremely. And in Job's failures... We see where Jesus has succeeded. When Jesus suffered, he did not turn against God, though he was the only one who was truly innocent. Like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth as he was led to be slaughtered. Hebrews chapter 5 says that in his suffering, Jesus learned obedience. Get ahead around that one. Uh, in the garden before his crucifixion, he prayed for God's intervention. And what did he say? Yet not my will, but yours be done. Perfectly obedient. Right through the most unimaginable torment, he was perfectly obedient. And never once did he sin or say anything wrong. See, where Job failed... Jesus succeeded. Where we fail, Jesus succeeds. So although we often sin, here we have a saviour who has wiped away all the consequence of our sin and our foolish talk. When we have said stuff in the heat of the moment that is just wrong. One who has paid the ransom and will bring us to God for all eternity. We know that he is not silent. That he is more than just. And that although he doesn't owe us anything, he has given us everything. Let me pray as we close. I have sinned and I have perverted what is right, but I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. Father, those words are true for every follower of Jesus. So forgive us if in any way we have defamed your character or slighted your name. Teach us to fear you because you are worthy and you are good 
Thank you, God, that you do not hold our sins against us, but you sent your son to deliver us from these sins, to deliver us from the pit, so that we can enjoy the light of life for all eternity. Father, teach us wisdom and teach us what it means to fear your name and help us to be good friends, good counsellors, good comforters to others who are suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.